Everything in Seven Stories by Andy Jones. Narrated by the author. Story 7. The Third Outpost. Part 1. Jed was dying. Elliot wanted to speak comfort, but didn't have the words. He wanted to touch his Uncle Jed's brow and make him feel better, but he was out of his element. He didn't know what he was doing. Elliot was never really close to his uncle, but Jed was his only living relative. At 94 in Earth years, Jed had enjoyed a pretty good innings. He had lived a lifetime and then some. Where others in the family, including Elliot's parents, gave up much sooner, Jed carried on. When life seemed like it was not worth living anymore, Uncle Jed just kept pressing forward and did so with a smile and earnestness that suggested something... Elliot didn't know what, maybe a secret that Jed carried or a truth that only he knew, that let him know there was something bigger than the small lives each of them were burdened with. The hospital room was clean and white. The overly clinical and sterile look of the place didn't suit Uncle Jed one little bit. In the last 15 years, on the occasions that Elliot went to see his uncle, the apartment was such a mess. Jed was a hoarder, no doubt about it. The hospital bay was situated on Outpost 88 on Mars. Not many actually lived on the outposts anymore, maybe fewer than 100 million. A billion or so other people either lived, as Elliot did, on one of the many giant space stations orbiting Mars, or one of the few still orbiting Earth. A small number still lived on Earth itself, or at least the parts that were just about becoming habitable again. The Mars outposts were mostly places to come and work. The raw minerals were extracted from the Red Planet to keep people fed, clothed and watered. The whole economy relied on the productive activity of the outposts. Uncle Jed had been through a lot and had seen and done things that Elliot would never get to know about now. The old man could barely speak and... Elliot wished he had some of that time back now to learn about all the things Jed knew. It seemed like such a waste of a life for all this information to vanish and be forgotten. None of the family were ever really that close, and as best as Elliot could guess, he would be the only one still alive. Certainly not the last person with the Williams surname, but definitely the last of his family. Uncle Jed groaned audibly no longer able to mask his pain. For the last week or so, he had refused to be sedated. He insisted on having clarity till the end. He opened his eyes and stared purposefully at Elliot. Elliot leaned in closer and looked his uncle in the eye. He was there for him. If not in life, then at death. It started as an inaudible whisper, but with great effort, Jed spoke. I'm so, so sorry, Elliot. Oh, you've nothing to be... I let you down. There wasn't enough time. Not enough. <laughs> the old man coughed, his whole body convulsing. Time to tell you everything. 
hanging on his dying uncle's every word. Elliot had only just noticed the nurse that had entered the room. It won't be long now, she whispered to Elliot, a delicate hand on his shoulder. Soon he'll have peace. With more strength than he really had left, Jed waited for the nurse to leave, before dipping his hand into his pyjama pocket and thrusting a keycard into Elliot's hand. Uncle, what is this? They entrusted me, Elliot. The old man's eyes were burning with determination. Our family line has been a part of for all these years, and I let them down. I let them down because I'm a foolish old man. I was never worthy of the fellowship. Uncle Jed coughed again, clearly in agony. Elliot squeezed his hand. He wanted to make his uncle's last moments comfortable. He wanted to get up and get the nurse back in, but with what little strength he had left in him, Jed pulled him down and kept him seated. Elliot leaned in close and nodded. He was prepared to listen. I know I don't have long, Jed whispered. You must do something for me. <laughs> something for all of us. Something for all of us, Elliot. Everyone must know the truth. Everyone must hear the enlightenment. <gasps> he trusted me because I was the last. But I procrastinated like a dithering old man. <sighs> now it's too late. The strain was too much for him, and he fell back in his bed. Monitor started beeping softly, recognising the vital signs were fading. Elliot, the old man breathed out the words, It isn't too late for you. Elliot, please. Outpost 3. You must get there. Take the key card first and open. Free us. Jed's eyes had closed. Elliot barely heard the last syllable over the drawn-out flatlining sound of the EKG monitor. Uncle Jed had died. Part 2 Sheriff Ian Sampson hated having to report to the Council of Order. He was 45 and had reported directly to the Council as their designated security administrator for seven years. The pay increase was worth it, but even he doubted that at times. This was one of those times. The Council of Order was the highest governmental entity in the whole USS, or United Solar System. Sheriff Samson was in the middle of his weekly brief, taking them through the latest developments, crime stats and so on. There had been riots in outposts 81 and 226, but they were put down swiftly, as per the Council's insistence. In summary, Samson turned to face the Council of 13 with sincerity on his face. Councillors, 
he began. I won't lie to you. No matter how much we analyze the data on these riots, the main pieces of the puzzle remain a mystery. We don't know why so many riots are starting with such vigor. And even questioning the rioters leaves us unsure. Standards of living are rising, but every ten years or so, people rise up in this way. We're just not sure as to why. The head of the council was Chairman Adams. Now in his mid-fifties with greying temples, he came from a long line of global leaders dating back to the days of Earth more than 500 years ago. Sitting in the centre of the far end of the curved table, he stood up and looked directly at Sheriff Samson. The other councilmen stiffened, getting ready for the dressing down. In a clear, quiet but firm voice, he simply said, I will remind you, Sheriff Samson, that it is not your job to speculate on why riots are happening. Your job is to put them down. And in the future, I want you to double your efforts and put them down much faster. Dismissed. Sheriff Samson didn't hesitate. He backed out of the Great Hall as fast as tradition allowed. After a moment's pause, to make sure Samson was gone and they were alone, one of the councilmen turned to Chairman Adams. While I agree that it was not his position to do so, Samson asks the right question, does he not, Chairman? Why are these riots starting again? Indeed, said another faceless councilman. There were seldom women appointed to the Council of Order. People can't even say what it is they're rioting for. What are they after? They're all well-fed, they all have useful jobs that this council delegates them. We created the perfect balanced society. What do these people want? Chairman Adams leaned forward in his chair. They want to unbalance it. He then leaned back. The rest of the council did the same. Clearly it was time for another of Chairman Adams's lectures. You only need to go back into your history books, he began. Go all the way back to the days of Earth. There were people who wanted unbridled liberty. Liberty that couldn't be constrained or regulated. These dangerous people are the reason our species no longer lives on Earth. It is nearly the 400th anniversary since the great debate took place among the leaders of Earth. They spent many days debating over what type of government should run the solar system. Dangerous people in the United States, many of them working in higher-ranking parts of the federal government, wanted a classically liberal approach. Luckily for us, many true believers in social democracy and fairness, like my ancestors, were strong voices of disagreement on this. It was a chance to create an interglobal society that was based on order and fairness, not randomness and disconnection. The chairman nodded sagely. Chairman Adams knew his history as well as anyone could. His ancestors, some American descendants, left their native land to side with the Europeans and other more civilized continents. After the war, America and the filthy views that came from it were wiped from the face of the earth. That was the history of the human race that was taught in every school, on every space station and every outpost. But Chairman Adams, said another councilman, it still doesn't explain why people are rioting now. All that is ancient history, fairness and solidarity defeated this radical liberalism. We created the emergency government, the USS, and solved all these problems hundreds of years ago. 
You're right, said Chairman Adams. But after the United States of America was finished by the Great War, taking most of the rest of the world with it, it was decided by the wise founders of this very council that certain destructive and dangerously subversive works of literature and thought were to be destroyed and erased for good. Oh, yes, said the councilman. What was it historians called it? The Great Purge? Still don't understand what that had to do with the violence on our Mars outpost recently or why they occur every 10 to 15 years. Chairman Adams sighed, looking up at the high ceiling of the council chamber. The order of the council had been meeting here on outpost 13 for nearly 300 years. Gentlemen, I've asked myself this question many times too, and I've come to the conclusion that there are people out there who, even if they don't know it themselves, crave the dangerous knowledge that these old subversive books and works contained. There's a hunger for knowledge among certain types of people. To the best of our ability, we erased every digital copy and every paper copy we could, but there are always copies out there. Do you have a strategy, Chairman Adams? Another councilman asked, hopefully. Adams smiled. Of course. There is no need to fear these riots. They will calm down. I'll instruct Sheriff Sampson to double up on his efforts to purge more dangerous creative works. And as for the writing people, I think we can contain the situation with more benefits and welfare for them. Kill them with kindness, so to speak. You could almost hear the council collectively sigh with relief. It was true. Chairman Adams always seemed to know the right things to say and do to make everything all right again. Part 3 The public transport was pretty run down and it was quite a trek over to the northern wing of Outpost 88 where Jed's apartment was. Elliot noticed the tram stops getting uglier the closer he got to his final destination. Graffiti covering most of the walls, flickering lights, dingy atmospheres and dangerous looking people. It made Elliot slightly more grateful that he lived, like so many these days, on one of the many space stations orbiting Mars. Generally, only the blue-collar workers and most of the functional government came to the Martian outposts, and only the poorer people actually lived here. Uncle Jed was one of those people. He was glad to have finally made it to Jed's apartment and closed the front door. He let out an audible sigh. It felt good to shut that ugly world out for a while. Uncle Jed's apartment was a mess. Elliot hadn't been here for a very long time and it was worse than he remembered it. He had taken Jed's door key and some of his other personal effects from the hospital. He didn't really know why he was here. It wasn't that he was going to find anything of value, but... Maybe there'd be some sentimental things that Jed had kept all these years. Photos of Elliot's parents, etc., that would be worth taking before the government's social operatives come to the apartment to take everything away. Unless you had money to prevent it. That was the norm these days. Now, looking around the filthy mess, Elliot was beginning to regret coming. He could tell he wasn't going to find anything here. Best leave it to the state. That's what he paid his taxes for. They'll clean this up and claim the apartment as property of the people as per protocol. 
Besides, if it looked like someone had taken anything of value from the apartment, there was a good chance that the government would come looking for whoever might have access, which meant Elliot could get into trouble. Once you die, your assets belong to the state. If you tried to take anything, they would come after you. Wanting to have a minute to himself, Elliot sat down on the dusty old couch. Best sit for a beer turn. Stir up the courage to leave the apartment so he can trek past all the ugliness of Outpost 88 and go home. He had switched off and zoned out for maybe only a few seconds when his eyes refocused on something. Something just behind Uncle Jed's old video screen. What was that? A mark in the wall. Elliot found himself getting up to look at it closer. It felt wrong somehow, like it didn't belong there. It was obvious the second Elliot got up what he was looking at. A slot of a keycard. The keycard? Feeling his heart suddenly beating, Elliot fumbled around in his pockets. He had completely forgotten about the keycard his uncle gave him in his dying minutes. He found it. Suddenly looked like it would fit. It was an old keycard from a keymaker chain that went out of business years ago. He carefully placed the card into the slot on the wall. Nothing. Then suddenly, imperceptibly, the wall right by the video screen started to move. Once it was fully open, a light came on from behind. It was a tiny little room. A secret room. Elliot hesitated before venturing in. Inside were grand old portraits. Some of them were old oil paintings, like the kind they used to have in grand manor houses back on Earth before the Great War. Elliot had seen them on TV. Most of the portraits had elaborate gold frames and weighed a ton. They had tiny plaques engraved on the bottom of each frame. He read the names and looked at the pictures but didn't recognise any of the people. There was a young-looking guy, maybe in his mid-forties, standing in front of a flag with red stripes and a blue patch in the corner. The plaque on the bottom read, President Joseph Fisher. Must be an old American president from hundreds of years ago. Another was of some old fella called Lord Hattenden. Another of a pleasant, smiling, elderly man with a friendly face. Chester Smith was engraved on his portrait. Behind that portrait was a low-grade painting of a harbour on Earth. It wasn't exactly a masterpiece, but it depicted a series of rowing boats moored in a harbour, with a storm gathering in the distance. A little boat called Old George was moored in the bottom right-hand corner of the painting. Beyond the paintings, Elliot found books. Lots of books. A whole bookshelf, in fact. Most were leather-bound and clearly very old. Elliot had never heard of the titles or the author names. George Orwell, Ayn Rand, Adam Smith. There was one shelf on the bookcase that was empty, barring a single leather case. Gingerly, Elliot undid the brass buckle on the front of the case, somehow intuitively realising that this was the most important artefact in this secret room. It was placed separately from everything else, and... Judging by how well kept this old case was, seemed like it was treated with more reverence by Uncle Jed. Elliot opened the case, expecting it to be a diamond or a jewel of some kind. He was disappointed to find inside it contained simply a book. A tiny book. Again, leather bound, but only the size of a pack of playing cards. Elliot picked it up. 
the musty smell hit him. He read the title on the leather cover and surprised himself by speaking out loud. Oh my God! were no talking until the allotted lunch break and pay was deducted if anyone found you breaking that rule. Elliot desperately wanted to speak to his friend Leon but somehow managed to contain himself until their lunch break. He had taken the little book with him and could feel it burning in his pocket. Leon was a little younger than Elliot but way smarter. His talents were something to do with computing, Elliot didn't really understand it all, but the sorts of things he could do didn't seem to be entirely legal. Leon had lived with his parents in the south wing of the same space station Elliot lived on. The south wing was a poorer neighbourhood. Like a lot of black families that lived there, Leon's parents struggled to make ends meet and both died fairly young. Leon sold up after they died and lived near Elliot in the north wing. Leon was really smart and Elliot always thought that the job he did at the power plant was beneath his skill set. Elliot and Leon both worked at the power generation plant in the 29th outpost on Mars. Their job was to watch over the drilling machinery that was mining for precious metals that were burned and used to store electricity to power most of the space stations orbiting the Red Planet. It was dull and, when there was a technical problem, pretty laborious. They took their lunch in the power plant's cafeteria, in their usual secluded corner, away from the other workers. Everyone at the plant only seemed to have one or two friends and they would all stick together, never really speaking to anyone else, unless they had to. So what's up? asked Leon. He could tell by Elliot's general apprehensiveness all morning that something was troubling his friend. My Uncle Jed died yesterday, said Elliot. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. I know he'd been ill for a little while. Did, did he go peacefully? Yeah. But that's not what's been troubling me. Then what's up? Just before he died, he gave me a keycard. It led to a secret wardrobe in Jed's apartment on Outpost 88. Inside, I found all kinds of stuff, including this. Gingerly, Elliot showed Leon the book. Leon's eyes widened. Oh, Jesus Christ, Elliot, he said. Put that thing away. One of the sheriffs sees you with that. You'll be jailed or worse. What do you think I should do? Throw it out with the trash. Oh, you should do. Hell, throw it in the furnaces on the lower level and incinerate it. Just get rid of it before you get into trouble. I can't do that, Leon. My uncle wanted me to have it. This book, above all other things I found, was the most important. Why would he have given me the keycard otherwise? I don't know, man. Maybe he was a crazy old man losing his marbles. Jed wanted me to do something with this book, but I don't know what. Whatever you're thinking, don't do anything hasty. I'm serious. Elliot could feel Leon staring at him. Promise me you won't do nothing stupid, Elliot, Leon continued. Just keep your head down and rest on it. Don't do anything unless you're absolutely sure it's right. Sheriff Samson hated having to wake the chairman up at this time of night, but he knew that if he didn't, the chairman would give him hell the following morning. 
Chairman Adams lived on Outpost 13, just minutes away from the Council of Order. It was a lavish, old-fashioned mansion-style house, and Chairman Adams' family had lived there for many generations. They all desired to be close to the seat of power, and it seemed that the latest Adams was no exception. Sheriff Samson was waiting in the huge marble reception room. One of the butlers had escorted him there and told him to wait while he summoned the chairman. The sheriff had brought a large crate with him, and it had taken three subordinates to gently carry it and place it in the reception room. They were now waiting outside. None of them seemed keen on hanging around to meet the chairman. Finally, Chairman Adams entered the room, wrapped in a velvet dressing gown and slippers. His hooded eyes might have made it look as if though he'd just woken up from a deep sleep, but Sheriff Samson knew this is how he always looked. I already assume this is something important, Samson, he scowled. Of course, Mr. Chairman, replied Samson, trying with great effort not to sound pleading. Well, asked Chairman Adams, noticing the large crate in the room. What is it, man? Sheriff Samson proceeded to open the crate and started taking some of the old books out of it. Well, sir, some of the social operatives were cleaning up the apartment of a 94-year-old man called Jed Williams who passed away a couple of days ago. When they were going through the apartment, they found a hidden door that was already open and it contained these old books that seemed to have been recently disturbed. Samson was now troubling himself to get out a large portrait from the crate. Adam stepped over to pick up one of the dusty old books. And how did you know it was recently disturbed? The dust, sir. Our operatives ensured they didn't enter the hidden room. They just took photos from the door. There were footprints in the dust on the floor, and it was clear some of these old books had been rifled through. We checked for fingerprints, but the dust made it pretty much impossible. One thing we do know is someone had definitely seen the contents of the hidden room very recently. Samson went back to lifting the big heavy portraits out of the crate. Chairman Adams looked down at the book in his hand. It was an old, heavy volume of a book with The Wealth of Nations inscribed in gold on its leather cover. He looked at the other old books that Sheriff Samson had taken out of the crate. The Theory of Moral Sentiments, The Road to Serfdom, Treason and Other Good Ideas, Atlas Shrugged, 1984, and many more. Adams looked up at all the portraits the sheriff had now taken out of the crate. Jesus Christ. The words escaped the chairman's mouth before he had time to censor them. All this was found in the same place. Yes, Mr. Chairman, replied Samson, slightly relieved that Adams clearly now thought this was important enough to be woken up over. All of it from Jed Williams's apartment. I am pretty sure all these books are on the ban list. They are. Have them destroyed immediately. And the portraits. They must be incinerated also. At once, sir. Samson started packing everything away. He hesitated for one moment then spoke as Adams was walking away. There is one thing, Mr. Chairman. What is it? Like I said, the hidden door to all this material was open when our social operatives found it. Due to the movement of the books and dust marks, it's obvious that someone was there very recently, despite the contents of that room not being disturbed for a long time prior. So, you think someone has seen these books? Someone has come across all this stuff. I think it's worse than that, sir. Sheriff Samson carefully fished out the remaining item in the crate. He handed it to Chairman Adams. Adams looked at it. It was an old leather case, unbuckled. He carefully opened it to find nothing. Just a slight velvet indentation from where a small book should be safely placed. 
The chairman looked up at Sheriff Samson, slightly confused, but as he looked down again, he saw the inscription of the book's title on the inner lining of the leather case. Oh my God! Again, the words just came out, leaving Adams with no means to stop them. He stared at Samson. What do you want me to do, sir? Samson asked quietly. Find if this Jed Williams man had any relatives or friends with a key who could have accessed his apartment. Check the hospital records from where he died. See if anyone had been to see him before the end. You have to find the book missing from this case at all costs. I will, sir. And if you find anyone who you even slightly suspect of stumbling on this litany of books, kill them. Part six. Elliot was suffering another lousy night. After work ended, he went back to his apartment on space station Rexel, which silently orbited Mars. He made himself a ready meal, but didn't eat much of it. And after flicking through the TV network, he decided to have an early night. That was four hours ago. He was still wide awake, unable to think about anything except his uncle Jed. And that book. The book was sitting innocently on his bedside table. He kept thinking about what Leon said. Keep your head down. Don't do anything hasty. What was he supposed to do? Oh, he wished he could talk to his uncle again just one last time. What was it Jed said to him at the very end? Elliot couldn't remember. It was all so fragmented. Something about the number three. Outpost three. That was it. You must get to Outpost three. That's what Jed had told him. But why? The third outpost was an old remote station, one of the earliest built, hence the name. I mean, no one lived there or even worked there anymore. In fact, all that was left on the third outpost was an old. The sheer force of the explosion sent Elliot flying out of his bed and right down on the floor by his bedside table. He heard the explosion half a second later. It was the front door of his apartment. Someone had blown it up. The book. They're after the book. Sheriff Samson was the last to enter the apartment. It looked fairly well kept, but that was soon going to change. His police officers and marshals would tear this place apart as soon as they had checked for anyone inside. Clear! One of the marshals ran up to Samson. All clear here, Sheriff, he said. We've done a full sweep. Okay, you're looking for a small old book. It's got to be in here somewhere, so get looking. Yes, sir. Under his bed, wearing just his boxer shorts and clutching the book to his chest, Elliot felt his heart thumping as he saw the heavy-duty boots of marshals and police walking up and down the main hall of his apartment. They were ripping the place to shreds. He could just make out the artificial light from outside his now totally blown-apart front door. Several officers were now in his bedroom, ripping through the bedsheets and opening his wardrobes. There was clear space between him and the front door, with no officers in the way. For now... Knowing this was his last and only chance, Elliot crept to the end of the bed and with his heart racing, leapt up and headed for the front door. Hey, stop! One of the officers called. A few opened fire, narrowly missing Elliot. One shot from a marshal's gun tagged a police officer who was inches away from grabbing Elliot himself. The cop got hit in the shoulder and went down. Elliot made it to the front door and kept running. He had no idea where to go. He glanced behind him. He recognised Sheriff Samson's face from TV. He was amongst the other marshals, and they were gaining on Elliot by the second. 
Elliot realized his big mistake by the time he had turned back around to concentrate on his running. He'd gone the wrong way. He was approaching the end of his apartment block and it was a dead end, just a balcony ledge four stories above the ground. Some of the police officers had stopped running, realizing Elliot had nowhere to go. Already they had weapons drawn and were opening fire. Clearly, they weren't here to arrest him. He had no choice. Without thinking further, Elliot dived from the balcony. With an almighty thump, he noticed his fall was softened by the two-story tram that ran every five minutes past his apartment. He'd gone lucky as it passed by at just the right second. It was picking up the pace now, with the book still in his hand. He grabbed hold of the rail for dear life and kept his head down, not looking at where he had just come from. Sheriff Samson tried to get another shot off, but it was no use. The transport unit was now going too fast, and there was no way either he or his men were going to follow Elliot down there. He turned to one of the local police and barked at him. Where does that tram go? It's transport unit 42, sir. It's going towards the city centre of the station, but there's a dozen stops and it slows down a lot before then, so it could get off anywhere. Damn it. Tear this guy's apartment to bits. We're looking for that book. Samson called over to the marshals. A new lot. Check with records. What friends does this Elliot Williams have? Any work colleagues he associates himself with, he can't run around forever in just his damn underwear. Seven. It only took Leon two minutes to open the door, but to Elliot it felt like 30. He had just started banging on the door again when Leon opened it. What the hell? Leon, seeing Elliot standing outside his apartment building with just a pair of boxer shorts on, couldn't have finished the sentence even if Elliot let him. Let me in, Leon, now. Lights were coming on in the neighbouring apartment buildings. Leon hesitated at first, but let Elliot in. Better that than arouse the suspicion of the curtain twitchers. The hell happened to you, Elliot? You want a coffee or, you know, some clothes? They're after me, Leon. Oh, I don't know, the, the government, I guess. They just burst into my apartment, but I managed to get away. Oh, Jesus Christ, that damn book. Leon noticed Elliot was still clutching it in his hands. You should have gotten rid of that thing. Or better yet, dropped it off to the authorities after work. Just say you found it or something. I couldn't do that, Leon. Besides, it's too late for that now. I suppose. Well, go get some clothes from my wardrobe at least. Christ, man, I can't talk to you while you're standing around in your damn undies. God knows what the neighbours will think. Elliot appropriated a shirt and jeans with a pair of running shoes that were just a little too tight from Leon's incredibly messy dressing room. He looked around, seeing all the dressing mirrors and racks of clothes Leon had installed there. Why have you turned your second bedroom into a fancy dressing room, Elliot asked. Damn it, Elliot, I'll tell you what, if I ever turn up to your house in the middle of the night with no clothes on, I'll start criticising your home improvements too. Leon placed a steaming mug of coffee on the kitchen work table for Elliot. It was way too hot, but Elliot started chugging it back regardless. So, what you gonna do now, Elliot? I gotta get out of the space station. <laughs> no shit. But then go where? They're gonna find you eventually. You're right. They'll get me in the end. And I promise that when they do, I'll be as far away from here as I can be. Damn right you will. I don't want no sheriffs blowing down my front door. Listen, Leon... I know you're a bit of a hacker. Yeah, low-key stuff. Never done anything that serious, you know, like aiding a better fugitive of the law. I don't want you to do anything that will get you into trouble. Can you hack into the government utility system anonymously? Sure, I guess. Why? What do you want, Elliot? I want you to hack into one of the space station escape pods. 
one of the pods nearby so that I can get off this ship. Set it on a course for the third outpost. The third outpost? It's in the middle of nowhere. Why the hell do you want to go there? Well, that's another thing. How good are you at hacking broadcast signals? Part 8 30 minutes had passed since Elliot Williams had slipped through Sheriff Sampson's grasp, but that was about to change. They had already realised from their database research before that Elliot was the only surviving relative of Jed Williams, the man who had been keeping the book safe for all these years. A quick search on the database from the Department of Social Analysis had revealed that Elliot was a bit of a nobody. He didn't fraternise with many work colleagues and there didn't seem to be many interests outside of his job. They dragged Elliot's boss, the foreman at the plant he worked in, out of bed and interrogated him. Turns out even Elliot's boss wasn't entirely sure who he was, but once he had been encouraged to recall Elliot, he thought that the young man spent his lunch breaks with one Leon Cripps, who also lived on the Rexel space station. They were quietly reaching the front door of Leon's apartment now. Sheriff Samson raised his hand to a police officer to his left, silently ordering him to place the charge on the door. But before the officer managed to get to the door, it opened. Leon, looking tired and irritable, stood in the doorway. About damn time you cops got here. Been waiting for at least 15 minutes. What the hell took you so long? Samson was taken aback for a moment, but recovered quickly. Where's Elliot Williams? He barked at Leon. That's what I'm talking about, said Leon. He was here and he had this silly little book with him and then he left. I didn't want him here prancing around in his damn undies, but he said he was going downtown. You should get him there. But Leon never had the chance to finish his sentence. Sheriff Samson raised his pistol and shot Leon five times. Leon collapsed by the front door, dead. The lights that had come on in the neighbouring apartment buildings all went off. When the police were like this, best keep your head down and pretend you haven't seen anything. Get into that apartment now, barked Samson, though he had a feeling he wasn't going to find Elliot there. Just as the officers were stepping over Leon's body and storming the apartment, Sheriff Samson's radio squawked into life. Uh, Sheriff Samson, do you read me over? Samson picked up his radio. What is it, officer? Sir, we've just had reports that one of the Rexel's escape pods was launched in your area. What? How is that even possible without authorization? I ordered a lockdown of this whole station. We don't know, sir. Someone must have hacked into the database. Are you tracking it? Open fire, blow it up. There's a fugitive on board. Uh, we can't, sir. It's just gone out of range. But we could see that there's one passenger on board and we've tracked to where it's headed on the planet's surface. It's been set to land on Outpost 3. Outpost 3? But there's nothing there except the old emergency broadcast satellite. Oh my god. He's going to... Quickly, assemble a platoon and get me an express shuttle to the third outpost right away! In the five minutes since Elliot's emergency escape pod had successfully docked with the third outpost on Mars, things had gone without any major trouble. The life support systems had automatically kicked in as soon as he landed. It was taking a while for them to brighten up, but most of the lights had turned on, some were flickering a bit, and the whole facility looked damp and run down. It was eerily quiet. 
That just amplified Elliot's thumping heartbeat. Clearly, no one had been to Outpost 3 in years. And why would they? Elliot was fighting back his fear of being alone, his fear of the dark. He was single-minded now. He was taking his time, following the signs, and making his way to the emergency broadcast studio, clutching the leather-bound book in his hands. It was cold, but that didn't stop his brow from sweating profusely. He knew he was alone, but that didn't stop him from getting the creeps. The hairs on the back of his neck were rising. It felt like he was being watched from deep within the shadows. Just ahead, randomly illuminated by a flickering light, was a sign pointing towards the emergency broadcast studio. He had made it. Feeling the confidence coming back to him, he allowed himself to pick up the pace and jog towards the sign. He turned the corner to see Sheriff Samson. He thought he'd evaded the police, but now he could see the bulky frame of his adversary standing in his way to the studio door. Samson fired up his electric baton. These days, the police had dispersed with the old rubber nightsticks in favour of these mini cattle prod devices that gave their suspects a shock, and often even worse. Lots of criminal suspects were beaten to death with electric batons, and it was usually dismissed in the papers as an accidental death resulting from a scuffle with the police. Elliot knew that that would be his fate too, and he was too scared to speak. I can't let you go any further, son. Samson sounded cold and indifferent to the life he was about to take. Your adventure ends here. Elliot was about to give up. He knew that even if he wanted to surrender, he wouldn't be allowed. One way or another, it was going to end here. He looked at the dingy surroundings and the door to the soundproof studio just meters away. There was only one thing left to try. You want this? asked Elliot, lifting up the little leather-bound book so Samson could see it. Then catch it! Elliot threw the book in the air. Momentarily conflicted about what to do, Samson took his eye off Elliot for a second and reached out to grab it. He missed, and it hit the damp, soggy floor behind him. While momentarily off balance, Elliot, sure that this would be the last thing he ever did, ran towards Samson and shoulder-charged him. Samson hit the deck just as his fully switched-on electric baton touched one of the puddles of water on the ground. Sparks flew everywhere, and Sheriff Samson started gyrating in spasm. Foam began to burst from his mouth. Elliot leapt out of the way and hit the wall hard. A moment later, it was all over. Samson was dead. Cautious not to touch the body, the smoking electric baton or anything else, Elliot cautiously stepped over the sheriff and picked up the little book. He pressed the access button on the wall and the thick, heavy, soundproof door to the emergency broadcast studio slowly opened. He entered and was hit by the musty smell. He could hear shouting and commotion in the distance. No doubt Sheriff Samson had brought a small army of police and marshals with him. Quickly, as the voices were getting louder, Elliot pressed the button to close the door. He could see the flashlights of the police torches coming down the tunnel after him. It wouldn't be long before they reached him. He kept willing the door to close. As soon as it did, he fired up the access panel and locked himself inside, just as the police rounded the corner and spotted him. Though the studio he was in was soundproofed, he could still faintly hear the police outside. Through a quadruple glazed window, he could see that some were checking Sheriff Samson's pulse for vital signs and were shaking their heads. Others were banging on the door. They even tried opening fire, but every shot they let off just ricocheted off the door. 
Elliot took a deep breath. He knew that he'd have time, at least a few hours before they could find a way of breaking into the studio. The whole soundproofed room was built to withstand a three megaton blast in case of emergency. To be safe, he typed a new 10-digit lock code to seal the magnetic lock on the door. There was no way they could even hack in and open it now. He turned on the lights and power in the studio. It all sprung to life. He checked his pocket. He still had the memory stick that Leon gave him. There was a single data slot in the studio desk. He hoped that Leon's hack would work. Slowly and carefully, Elliot inserted Leon's memory stick into the slot. The whole studio desk lit up. He could hear computers whirring. The main big screen in front of him kicked into operation. On the black background, he saw some green text appear. Now bypassing broadcast authorization restrictions. Studio to go live to every network in 10 seconds. Chairman Adams sat on one of the balconies of his mansion house, overlooking the early morning bustle of Outpost 13. The video screen of his bedroom was on with a presenter running down the day's mediocre news, but Adams wasn't listening. He could hear the faint sound of some classical music. Was it the Blue Danube? Coming from the public tannoys. Every space station and outpost had a public tannoy system that played classical music and occasionally public announcements. For really important announcements, and it was up to Chairman Adams to decide what was important, all the radio and video screen broadcasts could be turned over to the tannoy system too, but that was rarely used. He sipped a cup of tea from his exquisitely rare bone china collection. He hoped to hear from Sheriff Samson soon that this Elliot character had been dealt with. It surprised him that Samson hadn't been in contact yet and was just about to pick up his phone to call Samson when the phone went off in his hand. Who is this? Adams asked. Chairman Adams, this is Officer Waters. Sheriff Samson is dead and the man with the book has locked himself into the emergency broadcast system here on Outpost 3. What do we do, sir? Sir? Sir, can you hear me? But Chairman Adams could no longer hear anything. Literally. The video screen in his bedroom had gone silent. It was just displaying a blue screen. And the classical music on the public tannoy system had gone silent too. Chairman Adams dropped the phone on the floor. It smashed into a thousand pieces. He buried his head in his hands. He already knew it was too late. Almost every adult human being stood to attention when they heard it. Every single base on Mars, from Outpost 1 to Outpost 468, all 86 space stations orbiting Earth and Mars, and even the remaining habitable parts of Earth, were all hit with the same loud, mechanical-sounding voice message over every tannoy, speaker, radio and video screen. There will now be an announcement from the emergency broadcast studio on Outpost 3. Please stand by. And they did. Every one of them. Back in the studio on the third outpost, Elliot couldn't hear the police officers anymore. They too could hear the emergency broadcast system's mechanical sounding order, and as any attempt to open the studio door was clearly futile, they seemed resigned to listening to what Elliot was about to tell every human being in the solar system. Elliot looked at the main screen in front of him. 
It had now gone red and in black letters were the words, Mike Live. He turned the fader of the microphone in front of him all the way up. He looked down at the little book still clasped in his hands. It was pretty battered after everything it had been through in the last hour or so, but the brownish-red leather and golden inscription on the front still shined defiantly. Elliot spoke into the microphone, now somehow unafraid of the hundreds of millions who were listening. Hello. I'm sorry to disturb you. My name is Elliot, and I have in my hands a short book which I would like to read to you. I think it contains some principles and ideas that we have lost. And if we've lost our way so much, it might be worth remembering what those ideas were. He coughed faintly, took a breath, and then opened the book to page one. He started reading, nervously at first, but then with increasing confidence with each new syllable. The Constitution of the United States of America signed in Independence Hall, Philadelphia, on September 17th, 1787. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. A couple of hours later, Elliot Williams had finished reading, and almost every living person knew that he had changed everything. Everything that mattered. That was The Third Outpost, story seven from Everything in Seven Stories, written by Andy Jones and narrated by the author. This has been a Gold Pictures production.